The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. Thanks so much for tuning in to Episode 14, Season 1. This is going to be a really, really special show. But before I give you a little sneak peek of it, I just want to lift up everybody in our thoughts and prayers right now in South Florida, who I know are still grieving, obviously, such a terrible tragedy, the school shooting is, of course, on everyone's hearts and minds, even now, and we just really want to encourage you guys and lift you up uh, continually in our prayers here in the days and weeks ahead. It's really interesting because this particular episode, I'll be sitting down with Janae Trudell to talk about crisis and how it can actually be a gateway into growth, both in our personal lives as well as in our families, our communities, and culture at large. Also sitting down with me this particular show is going to be Marie Miller. She is one of the finest singer-songwriters that I know. She's just released her first full-length album, but up until this point in her career, she has already shared the stage with everybody from the Backstreet Boys to Pope Francis. So I think you are in for a real treat with Marie on the line today. Everybody, we really appreciate y'all tuning in. And this particular episode is brought to you by Lumibox, some really good friends of ours with a monthly subscription service where you can discover not only great coffee and leather prayer journals, but even beard balm and jelly made by a religious order. Go check them out at lumibox.co and be sure to use the promotional code LOVEGOOD, all one word, when you check out and you'll get 10% off your first month with Lumibox. Again, that's lumibox.co. Everybody, stay tuned. We'll be back in just a few moments. The sun is going to bed You lay awake and dread All the voices in your head You don't make a sound The light will come around And you don't know what you're up against The animals speak but they're not your friends Don't look them in the eye, brother You're listening to Brother by Jay and Joe off of their debut album, Grounded and Light, available exclusively on iTunes and lovegoodculture.com. We are actually sitting down at this very moment, as we do every week on the Love Good Podcast, with one part of that incredible duo, Janaea <laughs> Trudell. How you doing? So good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, really good. Mm. I don't know very many people on planet Earth that I could sit down and have, I don't know, 25 conversations with about media and culture and beauty and mm-hmm. what it really means to be human and, and not get bored. Yeah, well, um, me neither. So, Janaea, so. you're awesome. I'm actually really intrigued by 
what we're going to talk about today, you know, crisis and community. I, I guess, first of all, the word crisis never has a positive connotation for me. No. I mean, I'm sort of calling to mind this organizational development class that I took at Vanderbilt University during my business degree. And it was all about the the stages of real organizational growth and health and, you know, forming I guess it was like forming, storming, performing, norming. And our professor would always <laughs> say that like storming is where it's at. That's where the real growth comes hmm. from. That in fact, in the tension and the conflict, real beautiful things come to life. Mm -hmm. And I guess as I'm reflecting on it out loud right now, that's so much of what we've been through with Love Good as we've sort of honed in on a vision and honed in on an approach to engaging culture that originated years ago, but kind of came into a new being this fall with seven very different personalities, with different <laughs> yeah. ideas and different approaches to things. And we finally found something that it makes sense to all of us. Mm -hmm. And it's a far better end result, having all come together as a community and even allowed for crisis along the way. Yeah, it's always, always uh, connected with this, like, uh, a moment of weakness, basically, like kind of like an elastic band, just like ready to snap. Um, and I, yeah, I spent a lot of time in, in communities, much like uh, The Apprentice is here, just a little bit bigger back in Saskatchewan and um, had many, many, it was probably the first time I was in a community other than my family that was really intentionally, uh, I think, like you said, not looking out for stuff like that or at least seeking it, but welcoming it when it came, when it was necessarily coming um and uh and entered into that like as as a family um whether it was me and one of my other friends just uh running into a disagreement or um some tension uh or like almost like an entire community kind of going through um some growing pains together um those were really valuable moments um I remember actually in my time there reading uh from a book called community and growth by uh by jean vanier and uh he says uh he talked well he talks about this word crisis and he, he says something about i think um the fact that there's a there's a chinese word for and i'm not going to try and pronounce it but it basically in our in english means crisis is what it would translate to but for them it means it's twofold it means um opportunity and danger at the same time, <laughs> which is kind of ironic. Um, and he says there that uh, basically that communities need tension if they are to grow and deepen. And he talks about um, this sweet spot um, and maybe this uh, kind of in the space of the in-between that is really terrifying but really fruitful um, between kind of point A and point B where um, this is where we are right now as a community or as a, whatever, a married couple, uh, siblings, friends, whoever, <laughs> um, uh, a love good uh, team. <laughs> like <laughs> This is who we are. This is where we are. And this is where we want to be mm. um, as, you know, a family and as a unit and as a, a movement and a company and whatever. Um, and in order to get from point A to point B, there has to be, this willingness to enter into the, the, basically the dynamic tension and you have to make really, um, intentional, strong, uh, decisions in between 
those those two points, kind of like really strong steel toe boot steps towards where you want to be. So um, I've I've I mean I I remember reading stuff like that, but also quickly realizing that that uh, nothing else could be true, and realizing the fruitfulness that came with basically being willing to enter into um, su- like suffering, and it is C- crisis is it's uncomfortable, um, and even straight up painful sometimes and we experience that in ourselves and being brave enough to like enter into that and not just stay put where you are for, so for for me I think I've I've come to know it as one of the only absolutely necessary ingredients to a healthy community <laughs> like wow. a healthy family is this willingness to face um crisis together um obviously in charity in good heart um and in strength and love even my own life, like the, the friendships uh, that lasted in my life uh, from, for, for years are the ones where uh, both of us were, were brave enough to, to talk about the hard stuff and to, to journey with each other. And, and the ones that kind of fell through the cracks were where both of us were not willing to go step beyond the, the start line of, of point A mm-hmm. <laughs> and like dare to go to uh, where we could have. So that's not speaking out of that, that out of regret. It's just become a, a reality for me and something we obviously see so much. I really love the phrase dynamic tension. And I think it exactly captures how I feel most days when I see where we are. And I'm, you know, having to constantly make peace terms with where, where I am personally and where love good is as a movement and where my life is going in general, you know, um, but also to realize what I believe to be the the end game, you know what I what I believe to be the real like fulfillment of of hope, you know, like where I hope and and actually deep down really think everything is going, you know, mm-hmm. and while that can be really true on an organizational level, it can be uh, really really true uh, on the personal and especially the familial level, and I think that's the tension, right? Is is to is to be utterly aware um, of of where you need to be, and and to almost begin living as such, mm-hmm. while not losing your peace about where you are, and really having a bit of a, a freedom and an acceptance um, of of where you are. So that dynamic tension, while it is obviously true within community within family, I, I wonder if it's not also true within our own our own lives, our mm-hmm. own souls. And uh, it's painful. I think the tension is painful at times. And as you put it, it's necessary in order to grow and deepen. I love that whatever the word is in Chinese, it, it means <laughs> both opportunity and danger. Right? Mm-hmm. You, you normally only think of danger and you think of peril and you think of pain. But opportunity, um, if that was a part of our intuition about crisis, if we always had this hopeful lens in approaching every conflict, then I think we would be very different people. You know, I've been in some really strange situations where I've had to mediate. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not even a trained, like, debate person. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't really necessarily imagine myself ever being a very effective politician or somebody who can, you know, meet in the middle and make those healthy compromises and, and negotiate and move something forward 
Um, but I do often find myself, maybe it's that middle child syndrome, mm-hmm. wanting to be the peacemaker. Mm-hmm. And so I'll kind of at times throw myself into these crises. I'll throw myself into these conflicts with the hope that there is an opportunity to help two different parties speak each other's language mm-hmm. and understand each other enough to meet somewhere in the middle. I've even done it in between artists and industry professionals here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, it is always awkward and it is always tense, but it's always been fruitful in the end. And I, so I think maybe it was that class at Vanderbilt, or maybe it's just my understanding of, of, of the, the principal role that, that suffering plays in my own faith. But I do think that it's transformative once you accept this, that that crisis is at the heart and it's actually the necessary impetus for real growth and real deepening um, on a personal level, on a spiritual level, as a family, as a community, as a company or corporation or ministry or movement, whatever your circumstances are. And um, I just love that I've been reminded of that today. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. I I learned back uh, when I was while I was studying for a few years in Saskatchewan, at a little place called Saint Therese in Bruno. Um, we uh, talked about uh, the the term dynamic tension was used in context of um, kind of this cycle of either this is either you approach a problem one way or another, and one of them was being a um, uh, a, a victim to basically crisis and suffering where it is seen like that, you know, that Chinese word, like it is seen as a danger. Um, and so you avoid at all costs and kind of curl up into a little ball and kind of wait till it's over. Or you, or you become a creator and you, um, and it is seen as an opportunity and something to wrestle through. Um, and not, not, it's not this like overly optimistic, um, pie in the sky yeah Yeah. like candied over sort of thing like no you're you're trudging through the mud and uh takes a lot of bravery and heart um and creativity i love that Mm -hmm. yeah so um i have to say that has become a bit of my natural disposition Mm -hmm. in the midst of crisis in the midst of conflict in the midst of suffering My, my first question is what what good can come out of this? Mm. And I hope that that's not a blind optimism, but a deeply rooted virtue called hope. Yeah. And uh, something that we all need more of every day, every year, every season of life, especially when we're trudging through the mud. So, uh, Jenea, thanks as always. It's a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. You're listening to Glitter Gold by Marie Miller from her brand new full-length debut album called Letterbox. Everybody, welcome back to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. We actually have the privilege of sitting down with Marie Miller herself at this very moment. How are you doing, Marie? I'm doing great. 
So it's been a little while. I mean, we always sort of have a conversation before we sort of sit down and hit the record button. And so much of that conversation, I'm hoping, just repeats itself because uh, there's a lot of beautiful things happening in your life. It's been at least six, seven years that we've known each other. I think initially through your sister and even your dad, who was a bit of a, a friend and a mentor to me for a little while there. But um, I just think a lot of people are going to be so curious to know who is Marie Miller, right? Like you've shared the stage with Pope Francis, with Jim Gaffigan, uh, with American Idol finalist Chris Allen. Um, I have accidentally like bumped into your music uh, on the radio in Tampa, Florida and at restaurants in different <laughs> parts of the world. Like you've got a beautiful thing going. Um, but for those who haven't heard you yet or haven't met you yet, what do you say to them? Who is Marie Miller? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Definitely, uh, I don't say this, you know, on an airplane, but if they really said, hey, who are you? I say, I'm a, I'm a daughter of God. Um, uh, my Instagram says daughter of Eve. So this taking from the Chronicles of Narnia. Yes. Uh, yes. But uh, yeah, I love to read. That was the beginning of, of songwriting was just loving uh, reading and wanting to write and then loving music too and going, oh, you can combine these two loves, writing and singing and, and playing and did that at an early age. I... Um, I'm from a large family, so I really identify myself as a as a daughter and a sister uh, with nine siblings. Uh, so it, it's, um, but yeah, but always maybe first and foremost to a performer. Like, doesn't matter what I'm doing. Uh, there's certain people that are like, I wanted to be a saxophone player, <laughs> you know, from the beginning, and I'm more. I just want to be performing. I want to. I love the just that like stage is more home most of the time than anywhere else i just love love singing and playing and it's an incredible way to make a gift of yourself i mean sometimes we think okay we all had that like cut up in sixth grade who you know was in class just making jokes left and right and just wanted the attention um it is so obvious about you and every other artist we've ever had on this show that it is not about you, that even you're performing, you're sharing these really beautiful things called original music, original mm -hmm. songs. Uh, there's, a, there's a great gift of yourself that you make in that, and uh, that requires a lot of courage. I am curious, though, if you're, you're one of 10. Mm -hmm. I knew it was big. I didn't know it was that big. What number are you in the lineup? I'm the third oldest. You're the third oldest of 10. Were there a lot of opportunities to... Uh, you know, play uh, even just like as a family? Were there other musicians? I know your sister Tina is pretty talented as well, but like was music a part of the family dynamic or was that more Marie's thing? A little bit of both. When we were growing up, there was more music in the house. We aren't those amazing families that are like perfect at harmonies <laughs> and, you know, do an amazing job at that. We do love to perform for each other, though, and we have, like, karaoke nights that just sort of happen in our house where all of a sudden people are, are singing. And so there's some of that, but I would say for the for the person that was wanting to do it from, a, you know, from being a little girl and everything, I was kind of the lead on that. Mm. Uh most of my other siblings have seen have seen music as oh this is great you know do it it's fun but we're not going to be crazy like Marie and trying to make it a job. Yeah, that's pretty mm -hmm. cool. Well, it's funny because just yesterday, I returned from I think it's Fairburn, 
Virginia? No, I'm not saying that right. It's a beautiful little town. Point being, Virginia is <laughs> really beautiful. And those who are from the Commonwealth, like you, there seems to be a pride because it is so beautiful. And there's so many amazing kind of historical moments and figures that have come out of that part of the country. So what, what was it like growing up in the Shenandoah Valley? I mean, was there like, uh, I have this vision of just wine press and, and vineyards everywhere in every direction. <laughs> is that accurate? Well, actually in my life, yes, that is accurate. So we moved from California when I was about nine um, and moved to the East Coast. We were so freaked out because we were suburban kids used to rollerblading to the park and all of a sudden we were in this 120 acres at the time um land my parents bought a house that was built in 1804 and we're restoring it and starting a vineyard winery with their friends who had a winery in California moved their whole so 12 kids on on our friends family and then 10 kids with our family Whoa. we're gonna move to this you know count in the country together and and just have a slower lifestyle my dad had been working in um, Silicon Valley and was just ready to like be with his family which is so amazing and yeah so it was that vineyards and and it was so cool because we embraced the the music there the bluegrass music traditional music and totally there's so much pride I'm so proud of that terrain and every time I come home it's just that oh my gosh I can't believe I've been blessed to to live uh, in this place so yeah I have to say I love Nashville and that's where I'm mainly living now but man I just, it doesn't compare uh-huh. <laughs> to That's Shenandoah cool. Valley. I mean, obviously Nashville wouldn't be necessarily known for bluegrass, obviously more for country. But a few nights ago, I was at the station in, I'm really embarrassed to say for the first time on a Sunday night where they just do the jam session. Yeah. And so you got instruments, you know, every shape and size and every imaginable kind of like age and background of people just hanging out, jamming out, enjoying life. But there was this one guy with a clarinet mm. and I've never known a clarinet <laughs> to have anything to do with bluegrass. And uh, I was just wondering, are there clarinets running around the bluegrass scene in the Shenandoah Valley or was that just that guy? I think it was just that okay. guy. But I'm not yeah. an expert, but that would be my guess. I yeah. haven't seen that. But cool. Like add more, like make it, you know. Pretty unique. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think I've seen you mostly on the guitar and the mandolin. Is that right? Yes. So mm-hmm. those are your two main instruments. Yes. And actually, I've been playing piano a lot more, though. And, and also, I'm I'm really excited. I'm going on tour with Five for Fighting, which if you guys remember, Whoa. 100 Years and Superman. Whoa. And, yeah. And they're, uh, and it's, it's great. Those are kind of my biggest shows. So he's still, you know, playing for... Um, anywhere from 800 to 1,000 people. So for me to get to open is always really cool. So we're doing uh, two weeks in March, and he is a great piano player. Yes. And so they always have this lovely grand piano uh, out. And so when I first started touring with them last year, I just saw it, and I've been playing piano a bunch. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to play piano on stage. Yeah. And I just did it, and I loved it. So now I pretty much uh, every Every set, if I can. I don't own a keyboard, so it's really up to if the venue has one or has a piano. I will play. So it's just becoming more of a comfortable instrument for you, even in front of crowds. And And I'm a huge Sarah Bareilles fan, um, and so that's anything she does. So she plays piano. I have to play piano, too. That's so cool. Honestly, 100 Years is one of those like life-changing songs for me. I know. It's so good. I wish she was playing in Nashville so that you could go because it's (laughs) so good. It's so good. That's really cool. I mean, a little bit later, I'd actually love to hear what some of your musical influences are. I mean, you you mentioned Sarah Bareilles. Mm -hmm. Um, I I cannot wait to talk about the new album. I'm going to just withhold all of that excitement for just a moment. (laughs) Um, 
we had a really neat, just brief conversation um, before we, we, we hit the record button, uh, really about Tim Tebow and this book that you're reading by him right now. And, and this, this kind of tension that anybody in your line of work or, you know, uh, the world of, of athletes would be very, very similar. Uh, it's a tension that you would struggle with, which is, you know, how do you do great work? And in your case, great music, great artistry without being so wrapped up in it that your identity becomes one with it, right? And that means your emotional state at any given moment is going as as high as your career and as low as it is well. You know, you're sort of always at the heights of your success and at the depths of your failures. And, um, and it sounds like that's been a really beautiful journey for you, reading a little bit about his own successes and failures and learning how to separate yourself a little bit from the craft and the artistry that is Marie Miller music, huh? Yes, and it's it's definitely a struggle and something I'm learning. I finally really uh, decided 2018, like 2017, I have to admit, like we always admit what we did wrong after it's over. But in this case, I really spent a lot of that year with a lot of anxiety about, well, if I don't make it, this person is going to say, I told you so, or I've been trying to do this for 15 years. Maybe I should have just gone to college, like, you know, or, or married that guy or, you know, just done like the normal thing. But I always said, no, I feel like God is calling me to music in a very unique way. I need to to be razor focused. We talked about that. And um, I was looking at my career and thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't have a number one song on the radio. You know, I'm not playing for 10,000 people. My whole town, my, I'm from a small town, you know, it's um and there has definitely been conversations where people said, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, uh, not my family at all, but just, you know, people going, what is this? This is crazy. This is different. And thinking, wow, I'm going to go home and I'm not going to have anything to show for. And then realizing, wow, first of all, all the amazing things I've gotten to do and just being grateful for that. Like, come on, like there's that. But also um, knowing that that one person I might perform for, like we might play at a club and 30 people show up. And those 30 people are eternal souls um, mm. that like um, are brilliant with life and love. And to be able to connect with them is a huge gift in going yeah. there. And so um, in finding my identity in something much deeper than whether I am known, you know, whether I have a song that does really well on the radio, which honestly you know, here I talk about Sarah Bareilles all the time. Like she's like the like the world, right? And and then a fifteen year old girl will go, "Who's Sarah Bareilles?" Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like no matter how successful you are, someone doesn't know who you are. And um, so just loving it and and uh, and trying to change my whole attitude. And this book just came to me. It like we our house flooded our basement. And so I had to sleep upstairs in my roommate's room as my, my like, uh, room was in an inch or a couple inches of water and she had the Tim Tebow book and it's just been amazing. So yeah. God's good. He just like, he's just like, mm, blop, you need that. So I'm just going to put that in your path. So totally. Yeah. That's so crazy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think he's a probably great example of somebody who's, who's tasted the heights of glory, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, how many times? Heisman winner. Yeah, he's a Heisman winner and uh, national championship twice. Yeah. Um, and then like, was really told I'm the best. Like people said, you're the best athlete. I mean, you kind of are when you can feel like that. And then getting cut three times. And then now playing baseball. Like he just doesn't quit. And then yeah. his um, Night to Shine, which is the special needs prom where, you know, they come and, and um, there's a red carpet and um, just bunch of people cheering and it's just like this huge party and it's celebrating um, people with special needs. It's like, dude, you're so cool. So 
it's inspirational. Yeah. And, and, and seeing someone who's had that height and then also had felt those major lows, like, uh, is pretty, it was inspirational and has, has actually been helping me a lot. It's cool. And I love what you're saying about, you know, playing the club for 30 people and realizing that you've got these, you know, irreplaceable, unique and unrepeatable souls before you that mm-hmm. you have an opportunity to connect with mm-hmm. and perhaps inspire or give hope to. I mean, that's the great power of beauty. It gives people hope. You yeah. Know? Um, you know, the only parallel I can really draw from my life that would be very direct is that, you know, I, I do love, you know, giving a talk, you know, a few times a summer on a stage in front of three, 4,000 young people. That's mm-hmm. a really exciting, energizing moment. I have a hard time, though, seeing the long-term fruits of that, whereas the weekend retreats, for example, where there's been 20 of us, 30 of us tops, uh, the people that I've literally seen their lives be completely transformed. Mm. And that's a powerful privilege. You know, it's a really amazing thing. Uh, I'm so curious, you know, if you think about kind of the, the larger spotlight kind of moments, because you have had some of those. I, I've been like in a sea of a million people when I've seen you on a stage. <laughs> um, what of those moments stand out? You know, if if you wouldn't necessarily say you're you're so anxious about clamoring for one of those moments every night for the rest of your mm-hmm. life, you know, I mean, that'd be awesome if, if that's what happens, right? But um, the ones that have happened, what what are the memories that really jump out of you? It's like, whoa, that was that was a game changer for me or that like, that was just like a fun night I'll never forget. This night really inspired me or it moved me into a whole new direction uh, as far as my career is concerned I could have never anticipated. Sure, yeah, there's a few, um, probably... Which you're gonna um, know is the best was performing for Pope Francis uh, when he was in Philadelphia and being part of, um, you know, being on stage with, you know, Aretha Franklin, Andre Pacelli, The Fray, uh, Jim Gaffigan, hanging out like it was our 15 minutes of fame, our family because and, and most of my family was there because we were staying uh, in a nice hotel like they put us up and then like Jim Gaffigan and Jim Caviezel are like chilling and we're like hey what's up you know they have no idea actually Jim Gaffigan does because he he tweeted about the album which is super cool that's awesome and has been really really sweet but um, you know we just it was so fun but it, it and we were. It was just an honor to to play for the Holy Father, and I felt like I got to represent the young adult American Catholics yeah. um, that came to that that were they were so excited and love him so much, and so that was really neat to do that. Um, and then I have to say, second is I opened for the Backstreet Boys. What? Yeah, and I I, I grew up just loving them, <laughs> loving them. And so to be able to do that was really a dream come true. I, I wish I, I want to do it again. Like I want to, that's something I would really love to do again. Um, when, and, where, how? Is it, it, see, it's funny. It was a while ago now. I'm old. <laughs> I realized it was four years ago, like really recently, like a month ago. It was four years ago because Facebook tells you. Oh, yeah. And uh, it uh, was at Disney World, of That's course, cool. where dreams come true. <laughs> and it was really amazing. The guys watched, they watched the set. Like a lot of times when you open for people, they don't watch your set. Right. And they don't even really acknowledge you're there. And they watched the set and were like, great job. We loved, they loved Silent Night, which is a, um, I just changed the melody of our, you know, the traditional Christmas song. And I played that. It was right, must have been right before Christmas then. And they were super, super sweet. Um, but yeah, very, very special. It's so crazy. Uh, just to draw all the connections here together about 10 years ago, I was in Rome and this was the same day that I didn't meet 
Pope Benedict, but we touched hands in a massive crowd. And I was sitting next to Poliana, who is the sister of one of the Backstreet Boys. No way. Name has completely escaped me. You're not a real Uh, fan then. No, I'm not. (laughs) I can't even pretend to be. But those are really cool moments and obviously things you'll never, ever forget. I mean, as you are now celebrating, you know, the the full-length record, you know, um, after what probably could have been, you know, multiple years where there could have been other releases. I mean, I'm just thinking about knowing you, the songs you've written, the songs I've seen you play live, like it had to have been a real process of waiting for just the right moment and things you can't control like record labels and publishing companies <laughs> right. to get your first full-length record in the hands of the masses. What, what was that process like? What are you most excited about for Letterbox right now? Right. And I have to say Letterbox is it is new to me and new to you and new to everyone listening. So please go and listen to it. But uh, it came out in April, late April of last year. Cool. So um, so to me, yeah, it is, is, is brand new. But still, there was a long period between... Uh, my EP in 2013 and then, or maybe 2014. Yeah, 2014 and the Letterboxd 2017. So a long, like a long time. And of course I thought all my songs were amazing and come on, why aren't we releasing a new record? But actually I needed, uh, I needed time to write better songs and I'm really proud of these songs. And in, uh, it's 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 amazing. It's so nice to have something new, as you know, to give something fresh to people and say, "Here, this is this is where I was." And it really is a. It's called Letterbox because it's uh, a collection of letters, things that I wanted to say that I might have said or maybe couldn't say to someone. And so I wrote a song about it. And I love. I'm a like I write letters still, hmm. and um, love receiving actual like physical things and uh, not you know not just I I'm not a. Uh, great like texter or uh anything like technological maybe because we like got internet like two years ago um but so for me um these songs are irreplaceable and real and they're not something that I could just you know they're not written they weren't written in a vacuum and so that was that's what letterbox is about so to be able to share that Mm. something that means that much to me is pretty pretty amazing and tell me why glitter gold which we heard at the beginning of this interview segment why is that your favorite right now is there something kind of I'm I'm sure quite personal about that one in particular. Yeah, so Glitter Gold, I think it just was musically was something that I loved. Um I I worked with three producers on this one and we finally um worked with this guy Chad Copeland who did half the record and he's just amazing and he wrote you had Chris Allen on he he um wrote um some some stuff on the last record for Chris and and that so that was special because you know you're you're working really hard and we've like three strikes you know like, come on and 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 we loved that but also the song is about chasing the glittery things in life so the instant highs the things that we think um, are sparkly and beautiful and I totally do that where I'm like oh I I have a you know this looks really great this is this is gonna make me happy and it's like no it's mm-hmm. not um, and then God and faith and family, um, those things are the gold things, the things that last. And so this is a song for a friend who kind of for a long time um, has been chasing the glittery things and just that call to home and that call to return uh, to the people that love him. 
Well, we're sitting down now with Jessamyn Anderson. Really a cool way to interrupt the interview every week with our artists and thought leaders to just hear a little bit more practically how we can build a better culture in our own lives. How are you doing this week, Jimmy? Really good. So I know a lot of people are jamming out to this brand new sample oh, at this point. Oh, it's awesome. Pretty amazing. Lovegoodculture.com slash free. If you haven't gotten it yet, well, you're way behind. <laughs> And uh, there's just so many amazing artists represented on this sampler. But I know you've got more than just a sampler to promote this week. What do you got for us? Yeah, so I, I mentioned something I hinted last week at um, the fact that, like, well, first of all, you've got to curate the media in your own life. But then how can you help your friends do that? So we are making it easy for you to share. Not only can you simply send the link, lovegoodculture.com slash free, to your friends, but they can then type your name into the referral box on that page and for every 10 friends that sign up with your name in the referral box, you're going to get a gift from Lovegood. And what might that gift be? Well, I know we've sent out T-shirts, pop sockets, even an item from the Lovegood store, like a book or a CD. It is your choice. Oh, wow. So pretty much anything from the store. So pretty much anything awesome. That's really, really cool. And uh, actually, this is a really simple way to spread the word. I know we've got a lot of folks out there who are like, you know, I want to inspire some of my family and friends to become a patron. But that's not always the easiest place to start. Mm -mm. If you can start by simply giving them something free, you can expose them to this movement and even to this idea of curating media and discovering the best new music books and art before anybody else, which is what we're all about. Oh, and yeah. Jessamine, thanks for making it easy on us all. Of course. Have a wonderful week, Jimmy. I'm so curious. What are your influences? I mean, what are the books that you've read you know, the albums that you've listened to, the artists, uh, who knows, writers, speakers, pe people that you've just held up on a pedestal uh, and been really influenced by. Because you do have a way with words and you have a way of articulating, again, these kind of universal human experiences. I mean, this is the burden of the artist, you know, and the rest <laughs> of us just stand in awe. Um, but who has cultivated this? Who has inspired this in you through the years? Right. Uh, definitely C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and Dostoevsky. So I read Brothers Karamazov and just fell in love. Uh, and uh, also Tolstoy, Anna Karenina. Uh, these stories, uh, these characters that are as real as your friends and the people that you see in real life, I mean, they were just able to create a world uh, that has changed me and inspired mm -hmm. me and healed me. And I want my art to do the same, to, to change, to heal, to inspire. And... Uh, that would be so for and for music, definitely Sarah Burrell has talked about that. Um, lately, you know, it's funny, not necessarily musically, but just life is Tom's Rhett. Mm. Uh, there's I'm going to Uganda next week and they adopted Willa from Uganda and just a great way of using your success to uh, to make a difference. Yeah. You know, and they've just brought so many so much awareness to um to the children that are in Uganda that need to be adopted or that need just basic, uh, basic things like food and clothes and water. And so I love that. I, um, grew up listening to the Eagles and, uh, the Backstreet Boys, <laughs> uh, Stevie Wonder. Uh, also, uh, my parents took me to like contemporary Christian concerts. So, uh, Jack Velasquez and Point of Grace and Rachel Lampa and that kind of world of female, uh, artists. I was going to say, I haven't heard some of those names in a while. Those yeah, are classics. I still listen to them. Yeah. I think they're so great. So yeah, um, gosh, uh, who else? So just a range. Like I love old movies. So um, like the standards, like jazz standards, um, you know, uh, 
starting with like I'm like the way you look tonight, but the uh, Fred Astaire version. Mm. You know, some of like my favorite songs, and uh, so it's pretty wide. That's cool. <laughs> do, you, do you have a favorite movie of all time? By the way, I have a top five. Let's hear it. Um, Let's hear okay, it. so let me, let me see if I remember this. Not uh, Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> You've got Mail, Swing Time, which is a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie. I would have to think about. I know that I had another two, but I have to think about it. That's still a pretty good top three. Yeah. <laughs> not not my top three. But What's your top three? I'll probably Braveheart or something. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Anything that involves <laughs> a lot of blood. Uh, those are not official Love Good recommendations, by the way, for everybody listening out there. But what's been really cool is here we've covered not only your influences, but also your recommendations. A lot of really great, rich stuff right there. And uh, beautiful influences in your life. So, everybody, this is a great opportunity to support yet another amazing singer-songwriter. Marie's brand new album, Letterbox, can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and I'm sure everywhere digital music is sold, right? Yes. How can people stay in touch with you, uh, social media, website? How can they be just tracking you as your career continues to unfold? Yes, please do. Uh, MarieMillerMusic.com. And then I think everything else is just Marie Miller. So Instagram and Facebook, Twitter is Marie Miller Sing, but everything else is just slash Marie Miller. It's so good, Marie. Well, thank you. It's been an absolute privilege just hearing a little bit more of where you're at, where things are going, and the heart behind what you do so beautifully as an artist and as a songwriter. So God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. The lonely star we swore was ours is a great unknown. Are we drifting out? You're listening to Lost at Sea by Marie Miller from her brand new full-length album, Letterbox, available on iTunes and everywhere digital music is sold. What an absolute joy to have had Marie in the studio today. She is just somebody with incredible talent who's often in front of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people over the course of a year, and yet stays so humble and so rooted. Such a witness, really, of what it means to be an artist who uh, just keeps things in perspective and really shows the rest of the world in, in her own way, again, what it means to be human. Uh, next week, we're going to have on the show a very good friend of mine, Matt Frad. And it's actually one of my favorite conversations we've had with anybody yet. Uh, he's not only hilarious, he's not only got this brilliant Aussie accent, uh, but he's got some really profound things to share about the struggle that so many of us have in our addictions, particularly to technology, and the way that that really keeps us from living the freedom that we are made for. So make sure you tune in to next week's episode with Matt Frad. At this point on the show, we actually have one of you, our listeners, who has called in with a question, and this one has come all the way from Dayton, Ohio. 
Hey, Jimmy, this is Nate, and I'm a student here at the University of Dayton here in Ohio. Living here on campus has made me realize that a large percentage of the students here are involved in this very stereotypical party culture here on campus. And my friends and I were just wondering how we go about, I guess, spreading a more loving environment here at UD. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, how do we encourage others to leave this deceptive party culture to live a more joy-fulfilled life? Nature, a good man. This is a really important question to be asking, especially for a college student. You know, what does it look like to stay the course and to live the faith and to be a man of virtue, especially when the cultural norm, especially on most college campuses, even University of Dayton, it sounds like, is partying, uh, is going out and really just spending yourself uh, for all the wrong things. And I remember so distinctly being at Vanderbilt every single night, but especially Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it was just an all-out party scene, especially up and down Frat Row. And one of the things that I found to be really effective is I would go to those parties with some of my closest friends. It'd be groups of like seven or eight of us, and we would stay sober the entire time. We wouldn't be idiots, and we would take over the dance floor. I mean, no joke, in our sobriety, we probably had more fun than anybody else. And the biggest difference is the next morning we remembered everything. And I do think that's the great power of being in the world, but not of the world, of even going out and engaging with the culture that is often really broken and really turned in on itself and being a light in the midst of it. And I think the real thing is that we just can't go alone. We can't bring about that renewal of culture alone. We've got to go in with friends. We've got to go and be a part of something bigger than us. So really an amazing opportunity in front of you, Nate. And as always, y'all, if you want to call in with a question, all you really have to do is record into your phone a voice memo or into your laptop an audio recording and then send it to us at content at lovegoodculture.com. Any question, any idea that you might have about media, culture, and the art of being human, we would love to hear from you. As always, it's been an absolute privilege to have you listening to this episode of the Love Good Podcast. Again, this is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, signing off this week. Cannot wait to have Matt Frad on next week and cannot wait to see all of you in the days, weeks, and months ahead. We are really getting crazy with travels. In fact, in a few days, I'm leaving for Europe and will be gone for five weeks. So you'll be hearing some really cool stories from our adventures abroad, both myself, David Lee, our operations director, our apprentices, even our content director, Janaea Trudell, We'll be spending quite a bit of time together all over Spain, England, other parts of Europe. So uh, keep tuning in. We've got a lot of fun stories to unfold. And as always, know that we are praying for you. We'll see you next week. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com.